Welcome to the We Love Arabian Horses podcast, where every week we bring you an interview from someone who loves these horses, from historians and breeders to insiders and professionals, all brought to you by those who love the Arabian horse. Thanks for listening. This is Paul Costa with the We Love Arabian Horses podcast, and we're thrilled today to have Mariah Wilson here with us today. Hello, Mariah. Hi there. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing well, and thank you for being here. Just as a quick introduction, you are the recent show manager of the AVS Chili Roast Value Show in Albuquerque, Mexico, um, which is hosted by the Arabian Horse Association of New Mexico, of which you are the president. Is that all correct? Um, I wasn't the manager. I just did a lot of the behind the scenes and the planning. Uh, Margie Ballou is actually our show manager. But right. I was behind a lot of the planning and, and did a lot of the coordination to um, get it lined up the way that it turned out. Well, that's fantastic. And the reason we're talking about this is we're talking about Arabian Horse Clubs and Arabian Horse Shows and how we can cut the pie differently to do a better job providing what our exhibitors want and what we can bring in some newcomers to the breed. You did some major things this year to revise the show from last year, and we want to talk about that. Why don't you give us kind of an overview of that and share a little bit about how the show fun itself into what it became today? Sure. So this year was really about a lot of networking Um, for us. I went to a lot of different breeds and discipline uh, organizations and club meetings, got together with a lot of their presidents. It really started last year at our awards banquet um, when I really realized that the the pool is so small of exhibitors and horse enthusiasts in general. And it's not just in our area, it's everywhere, just the way the economics shake out. You know, your pool is getting smaller and smaller of people that can A, afford and have interest in necessarily going to compete. And really that's what drives our industry is having people interested in feeling like the value is there to go and spend that money and be part of something. Right. So what we did is for our awards banquet, we invited all of the presidents of all of these other groups and clubs and anything horse related. They weren't necessarily Arabian based. We had them come to our dinner. We ended up having like 160 people at our awards banquet, which is usually like, you know, 60 to 70 people. And so it was huge, and it was it was a really great outreach to just say, hey, here's what, what the Arabian Horse Association has to offer. We do include awards for all breeds. We want to celebrate and promote our Arabian horses, of course, but part of that is building the community of just general horses around what we like to do anyway, and, and sure. sharing knowledge and having clinics. And it's not all about competing and winning ribbons and year-end awards. It's about all of the things that we can still do while enjoying whatever horse you happen to have. And that's what really exposes the Arabian to other people. They can see our diversity, sometimes dispel some of the you know negative ideas people might have about Arabian horses, and actually see what we do with them and all the kids that ride them and the amateurs that enjoy them too, and opens their eyes to the possibility of maybe owning one or maybe taking lessons on one and, and being a part of what, what our breed and our industry has to offer. So that was how it all kind of started. And then with those conversations, I was able to see what the needs of those different memberships were, see how the clubs were struggling, and most of them were in just the way of membership and and numbers. Um, They're not viable to support their own, you know, financially viable to support their own breed or organization shows um, when they have such a small pool of exhibitors. The costs are just, it eats them up. So I proposed the idea of using our Arabian show circuit here in New Mexico, which is fairly strong, to be the basis and invite them to to hold what they needed within our shows. And that came through different all-breed divisions and different classes that they would like to see. 
Um, even if they weren't recognized, some were. We had AQHA recognition, WDAA recognition, um, and we're going to build on some more of those, you know, outcropping recognitions within our show um, foundation that we already have for the Arabs. So that's really what we did for the whole year and then had some clinics, some uh, social events that were not with horses that all people could be part of and everyone is eligible to win our year-end awards if they're part of the club. So our club membership grew quite a bit by like 40% this year wow. um, just by people wanting to be able to participate in our year-end awards. So that was really cool and it, it just it brought in a lot of new faces, a lot of people that might not ever be an owner of an Arabian but now like to come and enjoy what the Arabians have to offer. And so the Chili Roast Show was really the final kind of culmination of all of that effort and work coming together in a five-arena, three-day event at a different facility than we normally use. It was a little bit further away, but it was well worth it. It was a lovely facility. And we were able to offer pretty much everything you can imagine short of the cattle classes for those three whole days. And it made for a great, not just the exhibitors, but the general public to be able to come in and see what horses are all about. And again, the primary focus was the Arabian. So that was really cool. So kind of to back up a second, you're you're really using your connection to all the breeds to bring in more people, both for your club but for these year-end High Point Awards and then also to feed into an all-breed horse show. Is that correct? Yeah, it's, it's, really, it's really what's kept the Arabian shows and the club going is being more inclusive, being more aware of what the needs are of the general horse community. And then they become part of your Arabian community. A lot of them end up buying or leasing Arabians because they want to be more a part of what is available. They have no idea the versatility and the diversity that these horses are capable of doing until they came to our shows. Right, but to use the ability of having your all-breed show to give that exposure to those individuals, which then had some of them cross over. So that's, yes, very, exactly. that's very smart marketing. You start with someone who doesn't have a horse at all or never has had a horse or never even mm-hmm. been on a horse, it's a lot longer road to have them get involved than it is someone who's already with horses and maybe it's just a switchover. So it's a really great strategy. It is. Well, and there's opportunity there. You brought up a really good point of people that don't necessarily own a horse yet, but maybe they take riding lessons. They love horses. They also can feel like they're invested in the community, in the organization by being volunteers, by being help at these shows. You know, every every single person that's swinging a gate or handing out a ribbon is an important component of that production and we need every single one of them, every scribe, you know, every person that's just moving the trail course around for us. That's important elements, and you let them be included and feel appreciated for that. They are part of it, and then that just fuels, you know, their desire to maybe ride in riding lessons, maybe lease a horse, do something like that. There's, it really brings more people into the general horse community. So that's the outreach we were able to accomplish, I believe, and we really got a lot of people interested on board, new membership. And there was a, I did a huge push for sponsorships. We made a lot of money off of sponsorships that we then turned around and made into big paybacks at the show. So that show actually is paying out $10,000 in cash prizes just for That's that show. Enough. Well, and one thing I want to comment on is you talk about the volunteers, for example, and they are a critical component of every show. In fact, we really couldn't have our horse shows if it weren't for all of our volunteers. But when they start sharing their fun pictures of them being the gate person or the ring crew or the trail crew on social media, then their community starts seeing that, and they see that fun friend of theirs who they're not a horse person at the show that they're at this weekend, and they might come over, right? So the circles go both online and in person, and it's a crossing of the communities, I think, that starts multiplying and energizing where we're going with all this. Oh, absolutely. Well, and like you said, the marketing part of this is the exposure. You know, social media is 
such a great tool for that. I am not personally a super technological person. Everybody know, that knows me will tell you that. However, I do see the value in just getting people to post and share. We, uh, we did make a big selfie-like background that people were taking pictures at with their horses at our Zia show in May. And that was huge because you'd recognize that logo in the background. The teal background is our color. And we had tons and tons of people that weren't even with horses taking pictures with that. And then kind of going back to what you're saying with the volunteer exposure, for example, I have a couple minis, and we take the minis up to these horse shows, and we let the volunteers show our minis in the in-hand trail or the halter classes. We have a couple nonprofits that volunteer for us with individuals with developmental disorders and things like that, and they get to show the minis. And so by doing that, that's a huge, you know, they that's the time of their life. They really have a good time. They don't care, you know, what the judges are looking at. They're just there to be part of it. And they have a good time. They're safe in a good environment. And they take lots of pictures. And those kind of media coverages then go out to places like, for example, New Senda as a credit union. And then that gets me in touch with them because they want to support something that's supporting other nonprofits. Right, right, and, right. And it kind of goes around in a circle, and that's how you build more fundraising, more, you know, corporate-level support that does offset all the costs so that you can make these events really, really cool for a lot of people. They're not just bare bones, how can we get our points to qualify some Arabs? It's about actually having an experience where there's lots of different horses, tons of classes, there's something to watch all the time, and the exhibitors aren't feeling like they're just getting crammed into an arena to get a qualification. They're actually there to have a good time. Well, and you also brought the cost down, I think, for your exhibitors so they can afford to go to this show and have a good time. We do, yeah. Our our entry fees are actually quite a bit <laughs> below what they should be, I think. Like even this last, the Chili Roast was a concurrent show, and we only charged $30 with two judges per class for those recognized classes. Around the country, I think it's more like 40 to 45 when you have a concurrent at least. Right. Um, accessibility is the big part of it. And a new president, I've only been president this is my second year. You know, it's been a lot of trial and error, but I'm a big believer in my own business and how I've taken the direction of the club. You have to get outside of your comfort zone. You've got to spend some money. It's a little scary. But if you put the investment into it, you will get it back, you know, five, tenfold in not just the monetary value, but what you're providing to your actual membership and to the community. And we've really been able to do that this year. I'm, I'm pretty pleased with how it's gone. Well, it's amazing. And I had heard about your story and you and I got to know each other. And I had seen y'all's big photo frame that was kind of like the horse size photo frame back in March, you said, or May. And uh-huh. we had been doing our photo frames, which was so funny. It kind of became a viral thing. People yeah, just love cool. these photo frames. Well, mm-hmm. the photo frame by itself isn't really much, but when people start sharing it on social media and then one gets shared from here to there to there, and it begins to show a whole different version of a horse show than mm-hmm. the normal pictures that come out of the horse shows, which are gorgeous. But it really starts inspiring the community to have fun and there's collaboration and there's camaraderie and they get to feel the ambiance of their community. That's exactly it. I think that that that's really the main point is that we had to all sit back and go back to the drawing board, if you will, after COVID. That that set us all back to like, how are we going to get people back into this? Everybody's financially strained, but they're hungry to do something with their horses. And it can't all just be about getting that trot shot with a rose around their neck down the rail. That is for one class for two minutes. What about the other 75 hours that those people have invested in being at your event? How do we create value? and validate that, because that's the part they're going to remember. So creating a venue that actually has value beyond just accomplishing 
a qualification or a ribbon is what we've really put our effort into is, is building the community and the experience around the whole event. So there's lots of ways to enjoy our horses. There's lots of ways to demonstrate our skills. But actually putting on an event that's fun, that's affordable, and it's accessible for a lot of different people is what will keep them coming back. They're, they're going to find more value in that horse show if there's something beyond just trying to achieve that wind shot down the rail at the end. It's the time spent with their friends, actually having a schedule that allows them to do other things, you know, around and in the horse show and watch each other and support each other. It's not all just spent working the whole time and, and trying to get to a class. Our whole vision and the way that we've formatted the shows has really been exhibitor-centric in, in the way of being flexible, um, looking at how conflicts in the schedule can be eliminated or accommodated to allow people to try new things with their horses and, and learn about different disciplines. So that's been a big part of it in, in what we're doing. And the affordability factor that I think we already touched on is e, we're keeping those costs down for exhibitors by being able to get sponsors. So sponsors are more likely to step up and give us money for these events, knowing that they have a bigger audience, they have a wider audience, that we are actually also considering how we appeal to the general public, not just the exhibitors. We want to have people come to our horse shows that don't show horses, that don't know anything about it, and be able to enjoy it and maybe learn a little, or if nothing else, say, wow, I didn't know they could do that. And again, that's creating an audience base that you can then present to your sponsors. You get in with your nonprofit organizations for your volunteer base and offering positions and inclusion into any kind of event or production for those who do not compete and do not own horses is also huge. They want to be part of it too. And, and all of those positions are critical. They're necessary and they're so appreciated. And it, it just further builds the community around what you're doing, makes your organization a little bit stronger in, in base of support, not just financially, but in actual manpower. And that's really right. what it takes. It takes all the individuals willing to put their time and effort more than anything into creating something that's fun and not just putting on something that cuts costs to the bare minimum to achieve a very uh, goal of a qualification or a class. You commented on the scheduling and reducing conflict, but also making the schedule open enough that people can have time to go to dinner with their friends and do those things that are enjoyable rather than, as you said, just working all the time. That really feeds that whole funnel of the user experience for the whole weekend ends up being a thing that people really enjoy or out there with their friends as opposed to a marathon. That is so important. Important. And coming from the perspective of a trainer myself, you know, I take 35 to 40 horses to our local shows and I have a huge staff. It's all choreographed and it works well, but I really want them to be able to ride their class, have a great time, and then support their friend in their next class. You know, not just be worried about hurrying back to change clothes or something like that. Or like you said, being able to take the time to have a meal or have a barbecue at your stalls. You know, we do all this work that's involved in showing horses, and it's a whole lot of work. But the memories and the things that we create outside of that class are what make us keep doing this for some reason. We keep coming back to see our friends there to, to share our horses, talk about our class where we got the wrong lead or this happened or, you know, the, the dog spooked my horse in that corner. That happened to me, too. Those are the things that are your foundational base of why we all do this, why we keep doing it. It's the fun, it's the learning, it's, it's the collaboration and camaraderie. And it's really a free and open market to how you want to facilitate that for people. How do you make that what their experience is? And I think that's, that's a big part of it is how you schedule it and what you make available. And spending time with each other and not just being in complete show horse work mode the whole time as a trainer, that's huge. 
to actually be able to sit down with your clients and laugh and talk about classes and find your clothes again after the tornado went through the dressing room. You know, right. that's that's all part of it that is why we've all been doing this for 25 years and have the stories to tell from it. Well, you guys have done a fantastic job there, both with your club and your show, and I really hope that other clubs and shows would find some inspiration from you. Mariah, tell us a little bit about how you first found the Arabian horse and what has kind of driven your passion along the years. Sure. So my first horse I saved up for all by myself because I was told horses were expensive and we can't afford one, so you got to do it yourself. So I did. And my very first horse was a $700 purebred Arabian that had very little training and was one of the biggest challenges of my life, but really made me who I am. And I'm grateful to that mare every single day in my work now because I did learn so much from her and not just in horsemanship, but, you know, learning that there's financial responsibility, there's vet work. If you want to go to that horse show, I actually did a little tack cleaning business at my boarding facility and I had my rotations of tack cleaning. That's how I paid my show entry fees and I didn't have to ask for help. And it really made me a strong, independent individual from a very young age. And having this thing that was mine, this beautiful Arabian that was mine, it really did. It made me who I am. I grew up showing as an amateur once I was out of youth and got my degrees in management and accounting and things I don't want to do. I now use those degrees when I have to, but I mostly just want to ride the pretty horses. That's what I say every day. I just want to ride the pretty horses. And I've made that my job, and I have an 80-plus horse training farm now um, in New Mexico. It's primarily Arabian-based. That's fantastic. Well, you're quite an inspiration, and I like how your mindset for considering and looking at new ways of doing things has really inspired your community and it's really recognizable. If anyone wanted to reach out to you, how would they reach you via email? My direct personal email is fine. It's mariah.wilson88 at yahoo.com. And I can also be found on you know Facebook, and my phone is always with me too. Well, I have no doubt we're going to have you on the podcast again with some other new ideas maybe in a few months or so. Really appreciate your energy and your passion for the Arabian horse. And for me and all the friends that we love Arabian horses, thank you very much. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. It's been fun. This is Austin, director of the We Love Arabian Horses podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, make sure you click subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. Comments, questions, guest ideas? Feel free to send me an email at austin at weloveArabianHorses.com or just use the contact button on our website at weloveArabianHorses.com.